0: There is no free growth out there anymore. It's becoming more expensive for marketers to cut through. It's not impossible, but it's expensive. Now it's not quite as dark as it seems as I tell the story because you know for those companies that have achieved the level of tens of millions of users, or even maybe millions of users, they now have the chance of delighting and speaking to their own users. So the job for a marketer now is to is to tell stories to their existing users, tell stories with the hope of delighting them to then pay the message forward.
1: Hi, I'm Jubin, operating partner at Kleiner Perkins, and I'm excited that you're tuning into Grit, a podcast that sits down with amazing leaders every week to discuss what it takes to create, build, and scale world-class organizations. The goal of this is not for it to be a highlight reel of how successful my guests are, rather a candid exploration of how hard it is, both personally and professionally, to build history-making companies. Speaking of incredible companies, we don't do sponsorships on the show. So if you're inspired by the stories of my guests, my call to action is to reach out and let's find a great home for you in the Kleiner portfolio. I will not fly across country or the world for anybody. So it was a really good flight to get here, and I'm glad to be here. But I'm it was happy not you came. easy. It's a f***ing far flight. Yeah,
0: it it's is. so it far. Is. We're talking 12, 13 hours, something like that.
1: And dude, I'll tell you. Last night, I was laying in my bed of the hotel. Yeah, and staying. at the bank downtown. Okay, okay. and it's nice. It's, and it's- in my dreams, I was thinking about this conversation. And I was like, oh my God, I might as well just be awake because my dreams are just as exciting as like my reality (laughs) right now. And so (laughs) I slept like four hours and I was like, I'm thinking about the same stuff anyway. I might as well just be awake and think about it. I was literally dreaming about our conversation. It was weird and it was awesome. And it was a good signal to me that I'm doing the right thing. That's uh, the
0: kindest thing anyone has said to me, I think. (laughs)
1: All right, a couple more observations that I've had about Sweden. First time here. Yep. So, first of all, all the taxis are like freaking Teslas around here. They're yeah, all Teslas. Yeah. Here and in Norway, it's basically. It's mostly awesome. Teslas. I got yeah. picked up in a Model X. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is yeah. fancy. I was driving through the freeway to get here with all the woods on right. both sides of the highway. Yeah have you seen no time to die the new James Bond movie uh no okay so and there's I'm- an opening scene where there's a guy mr. white mm-hmm. who like comes in and kills the main character's mom right and it's in this like very scary eerie thing on a lake in the woods yeah and I was like oh my god this looks a lot like that and then today I went for a run this morning in the animal garden the big park. Uh, right, right 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 you know what I'm talking yeah, about yeah. You've been there obviously, oh, right? Many times. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like running through there and all of a sudden like there was kids and everyone's playing. And then I yeah. get to like a lake and an area where there is nobody yeah. and I'm like, Oh my God, this is it. Like I have, I have yeah. this is I'm in the scene from James Bond. Yeah. I immediately turned around. I was so scared. I can't there's a reason
0: why they call it Nordic Noir. You know, it's a big genre.
1: I was so <laughs>
0: scared. Yeah, as the ideal time to come here is actually not now, it's in the summer. Yeah. I'd say like June, July, and August. The rest of the year, it can get very dark, very quick.
1: Well, dude, I'll tell you, I don't think I had the luxury of ideal. Should we tell the audience what the... Oh my God. You would have thought an intro from your boss, Daniel, Mm -hmm. to you would have been like my gold plate. And by the way, you don't even know the backstory. I've gone through the Bond team and Mary Meeker. Right. I've gone and tried to break the front door down with <laughs> you and amazing. just reach out reach yeah. out directly. I have tried everything. Right. And then uh, my partner Bing, who he uh, made the intro. He made the intro. Yeah. So he also was the investor of I think the Series C with Mary or whatever. He was yeah, part of the team. Right. I love and, Bing. Yeah, he's the amazing man. Yeah. he's the man. So I said, Bing, I really want Alex on. By the way, I didn't ask for Daniel. I said, I want Alex. And he said, great. Let me talk to Daniel. Sends yeah. an email to Daniel. Daniel responds immediately. <laughs> hey, no problem. <laughs> introduces you. I send you an email. Copy our ad, the admins to coordinate. Okay? No response. Try again. Okay? And then a couple days later, you're like, hey, sorry. Sounds like fun. Why don't we schedule twenty minutes with the comms team just to like get to know each other a little bit? And I'm like, great, beating my chest, excited, like, here we go, we're doing this yeah. thing. Six months in the making, and then there is a period of despair. There is, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like. <laughs> You're
0: making me feel, feel so good, bad about good, this. Good. So yeah, it's, it's like, not fair. It's this like, is like, this is mostly me being shy. That's what it is. Right? I know it is.
1: So it was a six month period. I think I probably reached out seven, eight times, yeah. different ways, different things, different, trying to be nice. And then finally, I think you're like exhausted by me. Like this guy actually might not give up. And Untrue. It wasn't about exhaustion.
0: It was me recognizing grit. So I felt like, oh my God. Yeah. There's some real substance here going on. I felt. Oh, man.
1: You know, when hard things finally happen, yeah. it just makes it that much better. I'm ecstatic to be here. Yeah.
0: That's yeah. great. Welcome to Stockholm. Welcome to Spotify. It's awesome to have you and thank you so much for traveling this far uh, to get here.
1: We are in the pretty much Daniel's studio. That's right. It's new. It's new. It's yeah, stunning. New. In Spotify's headquarters. Yep. I just got a tour yep. of some pretty sweet things. I will tell you one more thing and then I can officially kick things off, I guess. For someone who is probably the longest tenured executive outside of the founders at one of the largest media companies in the world, there's no media about you, nothing. I get to interview some pretty cool people <laughs> Yeah. and there's all sorts of stuff everywhere about them. Certainly podcasts and videos right. that I can go learn, yeah. right? And you have zero podcasts. Yeah. This is podcast number one, right? <laughs> and you have one video from a conference in like 20, 18 actually yeah. technically two you have one where you're with an artist uh, a woman for the fortune conference or something and then, right. and right. then you have one in 2012 or 13 right that's it yeah that's
0: so, it so i mean i've done some stuff
1: Yeah, you know there <laughs> yeah yeah exactly 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 i
0: have been super focused on the work uh, to be honest with you and it's kind of fair because you know i've i've also kind of stayed away from doing a lot of shows and stuff like that so I haven't taken a lot of interviews, but it's great to have you here. And, and oh, Dude, and I mean it, I mean, again. it sincerely.
1: like It's an honor to be able to tell your story and the company's story. You've been here for so long that I feel like through your story, I'm telling so much of, of Spotify's story. And this was one of those episodes where I felt like I've never done enough prep. There was so much for me to learn. Yep. And I've done, let me tell you, I've done a lot of prep. That's great. uh, That's great. I like that. And you have your prep in front of me. But this was one where I was like, the history of this company is so rich with detail that nobody knows about that I could have just prepped for days. So anyway, I have a rule of thumb where I only allow myself to print two pages of notes. Got it. And I broke the rule for the first time in a very long time uh-huh, uh-huh. because I, I couldn't help myself. I could not help myself. There was too much. It's like
0: literally a, like a little book there. There's too much.
1: <laughs> so I'm at two and a half. So anyway, I'm excited to do this, man.
0: Awesome. Can I just tell you a quick story? You just you just reminded me about yeah. this studio here and it being new. Yeah. This is super funny because- You know, in the early months of 2020, when we were kind of getting into the pandemic, and most people here in Sweden got to work from home very early on, especially at Spotify. You know, we've been super careful. And so I started thinking about the future of working from home, right? So I wanted to create a space at home that could be great, you know, with great lighting and great video.
1: Like this studio. And
0: sound and so on, yeah. So I actually made the effort. So I watched a lot of YouTube videos and, Big YouTube creators are famous for being generous with sharing information about their equipment and their home studios and their home setups and so on. So I actually spent a lot of time studying great gear for sound and for lighting and for video. And so I... Bought some stuff. I set it up. I iterated on it, and it just became better and better. And you know, so we obviously in all of these like Zoom calls and Hangout calls, and so people kind of recognize that. Hey, actually, Alex made an, has made an effort here. Wow, mm-hmm. what, what's the kind of setup he's using? That, that so that gets talked about, you know, on Slack, at, you know, at town <laughs> halls. And stuff. Yeah, up. my home, my home setup. Yeah, so it's great. It's, it's not that it's like an out, out of this world type of studio setup. It's just like I made an effort, right? And so you know, two years go by. And uh, you know, I get this text from Daniel, and he says, "Take a look at this." You know, he attaches an image, and it's an image of this studio. And he literally says, "Yeah, well, your home setup uh, is is now nothing compared to my home setup." <laughs> You got one up, Yeah. And I was like, is that really his home setup? And then one day I just discovered this room it's, here. It, right, it's so. like across from his office. <laughs> yes. I mean, yes. dude, this thing
1: is, this place is yeah. legit. It's,
0: it's got serious lighting and, like and, this is, and a great camera. You
1: show up for your board calls in a place like this. Right. You know, like this is nice. All right. Well, dude, I'm not even going to be able to get into everything that I want to. So let's jump in. I start all of these the same way, which is that I will read your background back to you. I will screw something up. Okay. Tell me what I screw up. And then we can use that as a launching off point. Sounds great. Deal. All right. You got your BS in econ, major in finance from the Stockholm School of Economics. Then you were an intern at JP Morgan doing iBanking uh, as an analyst. It's absolutely soul crushing. And then um, <laughs> you went to you, you went to uh, you went to Spray, where you were an assistant to the co founder. You did that for a year. And then Spray actually had a mobile gaming type division, right? That's right. That they, that's right. That they that's said, correct. you can go run this or be a part of this thing, which actually shuttered after its first year, correct? A couple of years to two years, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Then you became the co-founder of a company called Emode? Emode. Yeah, Emode. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. You grew that to 3 million and it was ultimately acquired. Then you went to Jetbox. You were the co-founder of Of JetBox. You did two or three years of that. That was shuttered in 2007. That's correct. Then you went to King. Most people from where I'm from don't know who King is, but Candy Crush is their kind of claim to fame. Yep. You were the VP of ad sales and games publishing for two years. You basically created the ad sales business there. And then you became the chief new business officer. You spent a year doing that. Interestingly, you started and ran the Facebook games business, which ultimately was a kind of a key pillar of their strategy right. for how they solved for distribution, which actually comes up again later on. And you did Candy Crush and Bubble Witch, blah, blah, blah. Then uh, in 2011, you started at Spotify. You started as the VP of growth. You did that for four years Then the VP of subscriptions. You did that for a year. Then you became the chief premium business officer for four years. And as of 2020, you're the chief freemium business officer, right? I think you nailed it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then you were also, which I thought was really interesting, on the board of Circle for three years, that's which great. is the USD coin.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Super cool. Not known primarily for USDC, the stable coin that's used everywhere now. Yeah. But much more than that, obviously. Super it's cool. A platform for DeFi.
1: Dude, what was your first ever job?
0: My first ever job- Where you got like paid. Yeah, so depends on if it counts if you're paid by your mother, but my first ever
1: job, if that counts, was taking people's coat at her restaurant. Well, they don't really have those where I'm from because no one has coats big enough to put on coat racks, (laughs) you know? So she had a restaurant. Yeah, she had a restaurant. Chinese restaurant. A Chinese restaurant. Yeah, that's right. In Stockholm. Yes. And that's where you were born. Yep. And you speak Cantonese? I do speak Cantonese, yes. You speak
0: four languages? So I'm bilingual. I speak Swedish and Cantonese. Those are my mother tongues. And then I also speak English, obviously. And then uh, I speak a little bit of French and a little bit of Japanese as well. Crazy. So very little. So yeah.
1: your mom started a Chinese restaurant in Stockholm. That's right. Is it still here?
0: It is here, but you know, we sold it many okay. years ago in 94, I think. So that's more than 25 years ago. But it's still there. Someone else is running it now. Okay. Um,
1: and your mother? She passed away three years ago. Sorry, man. Yeah. Oh, thank you. So that actually explains something to me that we have very much in common. And I read this about you, which is that you live to eat versus eat to live. Yeah. I am the exact same <laughs> way. When I wake up in the mornings, except for this morning when I was thinking about this podcast, I always think, what's for dinner? Yeah. That's the first thing that goes through my mind. Do you think you got that from your mom? Yes.
0: Uh, absolutely what i like living a hundred in a restaurant 1000% yeah not only that but also because you know in my family and primarily my mother she spent a lot of time in the kitchen you know even when she wasn't working she was in the kitchen for probably 2 hours a day 3 hours a day this is a lot of time to spend in the kitchen and so obviously I was in there a lot too and i guess i just got it naturally the, the interest in food and eating and all that stuff. I'm not your kind of like fine dining foodie guy. Yeah. I and mean,
1: obviously I enjoy that side of, of, of it as, as well, but you know, I, I just like to eat. I have a rule with my team that they think is ridiculous where usually white tablecloth, I yeah. don't love because it's like, it's less about the food. You know what I mean? Right, like right, it's right. usually like we're like some places are great, but a lot of the time it's just a fancy restaurant yeah. and I just want the food. Yeah
0: not to make this dark and you can edit this out if you feel like it but so my mother had uh, two terminal diseases so we spent a lot of time in the hospital together and one of the things that we actually enjoyed doing while she was in the hospital bed was to just transfer knowledge about food and how to cook and stuff like that so we had these long evenings of just talking about foods and You know, it made it so much more enjoyable. The last year or so, we just spent a whole lot of time just talking about food. And I have everything kind of taken down in notes. I used Evernote as a note-taking app then, and and I just have everything in Evernote. And it's so rich and so useful for me today, just going back to those recipes. recipes. Recipes, yeah.
1: And then techniques too?
0: Recipes and techniques, Cleaning a fish and steaming a fish sounds easy, but the actual technique that she employed was like just fascinating to kind of look at and talk about and so on.
1: No kidding. What a cool way to bond with your mother. Yeah. Amazing. And was she in the kitchen or was she stuck in the hospital? This was stuck just in the hospital. All- this was just talking about it. What do you mean, two
0: terminal? She had something called uh, a GIST. It's a, a malignant tumor on your small intestines. Mm-hmm. And then she also had this very severe lung disease called idiopathic lung fibrosis. Pulmonary fibrosis.
1: Wow. Would you go back, practice the recipe, and then come back and be like... I
0: do it all the time. I do it all the time. That's incredible. And is it all Chinese food? Yeah. She also was very proficient in, in cooking Italian, sometimes French as well. So it was basically a fusion of a lot of different cultures or cuisines. So they sometimes ask us, we have something we called, well, we call it the intro days at Spotify. It happens, I think it's once a quarter now, or maybe even every other month. It's a way for us as a leadership team to give time to new joiners to uh, new employees of Spotify. And just we talk about the different strategies of Spotify, we make them feel comfortable, we talk about the culture and so on, and then we always have this like Q&A that we do together. So all of us on either a a stage or in the hangout together and we respond to questions. And almost always you get this question from the crowd, which is if you wouldn't have been at Spotify or in tech, what would you have done? And my clear answer is I would definitely have been in food. No (laughs) kidding.
1: (laughs) Well, dude, maybe, maybe we start a restaurant in New York City. Yes, please. Maybe we start yeah, a restaurant right. in New York yeah. City. Maybe yeah. you're the looks and the chef. Uh, and, uh, I don't know and I, can that. Just, I don't I can know just, about like, that. I don't know, start a podcast about <laughs> yeah, it or something. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Actually, speaking of that, you've had an informal program running since you used to work at King where you always have younger talent shadowing you. Yeah. Is that right?
0: right? Yeah. Why do you do that? And I love it. I just enjoyed a lot. And and this sounds like a cliche, but seeing younger talent develop and sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. And when they listen and you see them taking advice and just growing and being creative, it's just super satisfying. I would say that's on par with or even slightly more satisfying than achieving just growth. What you do. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, what I do. yeah.
1: Well, I guess maybe more specifically, which part is more satisfying seeing what they end up ultimately going on to do? Yeah.
0: Well, it's not just that. It's also kind of somehow selfish as well, because I kind of get a bunch of brothers and sisters and, and relationships that I continue to enjoy and, and, and you've and, been doing this back for like 15 years. To, I think it's like eight or something like eight that. Eight years. Yeah. Wow. I call it Luma. So my most recent Luma was Damon Amui. Persian.
1: No kidding. Wow. Super cool. I have some questions about your background before we get into Spotify. Spray went under, right? That's right. Moby... Went under, kind of like yeah. a couple pretty early losses. You were in investment banking. There's no way you liked your life. There's no <laughs> way you were enjoying your yeah. life. There's no way. No, I actually enjoyed it. Bits of it I enjoyed. That's sick. Yeah. That's just so yeah. sick in the head. And then. <laughs> and then uh, the long hours I didn't enjoy. I'll I tell bet. you that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jetbox went under. That's right. And then in between them, you had M Code, which was acquired emote. for. Yeah. Emote, sorry. Yeah. Was that like a big acquisition? It was big for me at the time. I was twenty six years
0: old, and yeah. uh, given that I kind of failed so many attempts before this, I felt on top of the world. You know, it was a lot of money for me at the time, and but were, it wasn't life changing. You were the majority owner. No, of the we co- were. We were. There were a bunch of us. So I, I believe we were in the end. We, there were six of us who were considered co-founders. Okay, so a lot of people kind of split the pot.
1: You're at rock bottom, then you think yeah. there's no way I could do this again. Yeah. Then you go rock bottom again yeah. with another company. I don't think people understand how hard it is to be a part of a company that like <laughs> completely yeah. shuts down. Yeah, it's difficult. You know, there's all this news about like the, the company fast, the one click checkout yeah. right now. Yeah. And everyone's just giving them a hard time. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't think you understand how shitty that is. It gets a really bad feeling. And not the, Okay, we're closing doors because usually you leave before the actual door closes, yeah. but it's not fun being a part of these companies. So you do that twice in a row. And then on the third one, boom, you hit it again. You feel amazing. Then you're like, you know what? I'm going to start another one because obviously I figured this out. And that one shuts down too. <laughs> so that was, yeah. So <laughs> what's going yeah. through your head? Yeah.
0: At the risk of kind of romanticizing how it is to be an entrepreneur or a startup person, I actually look back on some of those failed attempts and I just think warmly about them. These were great experiences that I wouldn't have had undone at all. But what you just said about having been successful and then getting another kind of fiasco in my lap <laughs> obviously isn't a great feeling. Right? So you would want the last one to be the one that's successful. You don't want the middle one to be the one that's successful. Because right. I had nothing to show for, really. I didn't have a fancy car. I hadn't bought like a big apartment. I hadn't done anything with the money other than reinvesting.
1: Own, did you put your own money into the new, yeah, into yeah, that did, new gig that you yeah. made yeah. from all uh, Emode?
0: Yeah, so uh, my co-founder and I, Kale Aust, we basically put all our money back into this new business that would, we hoped, kind of sustain us and, and our families and become this thing that we would keep forever. But that didn't happen. So I found myself basically with very low self-confidence and just, I was a sourpuff at home for a while. And then luckily I had a couple of great friends that called me and said, hey, what are you doing? Why don't you come work for us uh, for a second here? One of them was Sebastian Knutsson, who's the co-founder of King. And the other one is one of my best friends, Michael Schiller. He at the time, had taken over Acne and was growing it and and asked me, hey, can you join and, and just help me out for a second here? And so I did as a consultant in both these businesses. And slowly and surely, I guess because of my passions around gaming, I just naturally kind of gravitated, gravitated towards, towards King. Yeah, well, I became an employee and started working very closely with Sebastian.
1: That is a wild series of events. Yeah. Shut down, shut down, acquisition, yeah. on top of the world, life-changing money, right. shut down. Yeah. I actually think the last one must have been the worst. You're just coming off this great high. Yeah. Was your ego tied to that? Were you feeling like, all right, I'm an entrepreneur now, I am all these <laughs> things, and <laughs> right. I have all this money, and then that just gets all shot to the ground? Yeah. The money wasn't that life-changing,
0: right? So the big thing was that I felt all those feelings, right? So it was pretty hard on my self-confidence, but I decided really to get back on the horse, so to speak, really quickly. And so that period in between joining King and consulting for Acne, it lasted more or less for just like three or four months or something like that. From when it
1: shut down to when you started consulting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Three, four months.
0: Yeah, three, four months. And were you just Not licking months, your yeah.
1: wounds for those three, four
0: months? Kind of. It was summer and, and I tried to have a good time, but yeah. it, was, it was it was hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Once I joined these teams, it just felt very natural to start kicking into gear again. And I'll tell you this, there were some of these projects I did at King that were less difficult and it was just uh, doing all the things that I enjoyed doing. But one or two years in, we had this point in time where we stalled in revenue growth. And everyone was trying to look into why that was. It would almost became kind of a witch hunt. Is it because we don't at King? Yeah, at King. So is it because we're not proficient at SEO or SEM? Is it that you know we're having problems in our tech stack? Is there something wrong with the value proposition? Is it the business model? So we we were looking for things to fix. And this is 2007 or eight ish, and. I just got invited to join Facebook, so get an account on Facebook. And back then, Facebook was just in the U.S., and it was just opening up to more colleges, I think, was the way they did it. Uh, And I had gotten this invite, and I joined, and, and I just found it so fascinating to be on this platform and started reading about how it grew really fast and just had this hypothesis that maybe it is so that it's not our business that's stalling. It's everyone's business that are stalling, right? So it's Facebook. It's the traffic and the audience and the reach and the engagement is going to Facebook simply because they're an awesome product. And given that that was the hypothesis, I asked Sebastian, hey, why don't I actually go and try to create a game on Facebook? Maybe we'll start experimenting. Maybe I'll Take five, six people, one back-end engineer, a front-end engineer, level designer, project manager, or product owner. Let me try for for six, 12 months and see if we can get something to work. And back then, it was primarily desktop-based experiences. So it was called Canvas page on Facebook. So we started experimenting with that. And... The same ways people are measuring, you know, engagement and retention today, we were looking at DEU over MEU. So it's the number of daily active users over the number of monthly active users. And that ratio basically gives you, if you're 10% DEU-MEU, it literally means that your users are engaging 10% of the days in a month, right? So that would be three days or something like that per month. And we realized that, hey, there are these thresholds. Like, if you are 10%, that literally means you're dead on arrival, that you need to completely rethink or build a new product. If you're 20 25%, then maybe you have something that you can work on and iterate on. If you're 50 plus percent, means people are spending 15, 16 days of a month just engaging with your product, that must mean that it has legs. And if you're an 80% you then literally like your world success, right? So. And Facebook was like 70% or
1: something that's like right, that. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah that's great that yeah. you know that. And yeah. so
0: I found myself in situations where we were building products that were 10, 15%, sometimes 20 And so there was one failed attempt after the other. And by the sixth attempt or so, we decided, hey, maybe we should just call it quits. And so we did the seventh project and that just literally just took off. So vertical growth. You know, so we had this amazing DUMAU and, and just And that was a game. That was a game. The seventh project that was, was a, game. a game. Yeah, it was a game. And you're you're just making games? Yeah. To be fair, I wasn't there for Candy Crush. Uh, yeah, that happened right after I left. Maybe that had something to do with it, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I I you know, we surely made a ton of like attempts that didn't work. Once it worked, it was just amazing to see that growth happening. On Facebook. On Facebook.
1: It's funny. I always say I don't believe in coincidences, but a lot of these experiences, I think, were incredibly formative to when you got to Spotify. When you met Daniel Ek, who is the CEO and co-founder, you were working at King. That's right. In 2007, right? Yep. You're both from Stockholm. Yeah. And you have a funny quote around your perception of Spotify. It was very mysterious to you. What did you think Spotify was? What did you think Daniel was? And then how did that kind of unfold?
0: Yeah, I mean, Daniel is one of the key reasons for me joining Spotify. And when we met, I mean, Stockholm is a, is a pretty small scene. I feel uh, like I
1: ran through it today. Yeah, It's like, it's literally geographically pretty small too.
0: Yeah, it's a small scene, but it's super vibrant when it comes to startups and technology and the internet in general, right? But we kind of all know each other. And I we ran into Daniel, and at the time he had just started Spotify, they had this launch party that had just happened, and I met him through a friend. And he talked about, you know, the vision, about changing the music industry and launching the service. I found the vision and the promise of what we talked about like, super fascinating, and it sounded like he wanted to build something that could truly change the world and just kind of sustain. And he actually asked me, he said, hey, Alex, why don't you come join me? like no 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 chance i've had so many failed attempts here and right now this is just working out really well with our facebook apps and and king starting to take off again and and me playing a role in that and so on and then he said well gaming is great i enjoy a good game but it's not that important why don't you come uh, join me and change the world and so he did kind of like a Steve Jobs pitch I was on me. Say, it's very <laughs> yeah, Steve Jobs-y. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was, it was great. What well, was like,
1: it like selling, uh, selling sugar water or something? Isn't some, isn't something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I,
0: I did say no, you know, a couple of times. But you know, after hanging out several times with him, it just became super clear that he was going to do something very special with uh, Spotify.
1: Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, he talks about how. Pretty much every good deal, every good negotiation dies at least three times, and if it hasn't right. died by the third time, yeah. you're not going to get the deal done yet. And so, any good deal worth getting done always dies a couple of times.
0: That's literally what happened between you and I. You and I yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I I had to overcome a few more than three, but nonetheless. So in 2007, you tweeted. This was your third ever tweet, which I thought was crazy. You're early, on t- early Twitter t- you user. You were on Twitter in 2007. You must have been like one of the earliest guys. That was crazy. It was at the point where people were tweeting like just woke up eating breakfast. Like where right. everyone was just tweeting exactly what they're doing yeah. in this current moment because yeah. there's so few people that that was the way to use the platform because the people that you were connected to were probably your friends generally speaking. Right. The tweet was trying to think about the bigger picture. Difficult with an exclamation point. There's no way you remember that. No, but I, no I don't. But like, Did I write that? You That's You wrote funny. that. And yeah. you wrote that in I 2007. I wonder what I was thinking about. <laughs> but I wonder what you were thinking <laughs> yes. about. And I guess as you reflect on that now, you've had this incredible run with one of the most groundbreaking companies that we've ever seen. Is it still hard for you to think that big over and over again when every time you think as big as you possibly can, it seems like you achieve whatever it is that you achieved and then you got to go do it again?
0: I love the art of that. And a key part of my job today is actually to help set these impossible goals. A simple goal of getting to call it like 100 million users can be super effective for a team to gather around. And so it makes you think before you act. It makes you plan. It makes you sit down to set batting averages. And this doesn't mean that a number is as powerful as a purpose or a vision that someone is setting. But I've found that it sure can get you or get the purpose to kick into that extra gear that, that sometimes kind of makes a difference. And it makes you fight and makes you think about do you have the right capabilities and makes you creative and it's also pretty fun. So there's this story where this is my you know first day at, at Spotify. I sit down and you know we talk about the priorities of Spotify and I sit on this deck that's next to him and, and I remember asking him like, hey man, so what's the most important thing? right now for us to do? What's the most important task at hand? And, and what was your
1: job when, like, what was so that? As,
0: as the title was VP Growth. so okay. and was you, was right, you were his
1: right-hand man to monetize this system.
0: To grow, to yep. grow the company, okay. right? And so he said to me, well, there are three things at the top of the agenda right now for Spotify. Number one is growth, number two is growth, and number three is growth. So I'm like, okay, I understand now that the priority is growth. And so that's great. But w- what is the goal? Can we not just sit down and, and just talk about like, a goal? He's like, well, literally, that is the goal. And I said, like, yeah, but should we just put an insane number to it? He said, like, yeah, of course we should. So I said, what about just saying 100 million users? Let's get to 100 million users. He said, like, that's perfect. Let's do it. So your goal is to get us to 100 million users. Please begin. <laughs> <laughs> are you so, serious? You know, this is this is, this is is true. And, and so I started thinking about this, obviously trying to prove my worth, you know, first day, right? So I started thinking about what are some of the kind of easy ways to grow the company or grow the number of users, trying to identify downhill kind of runs. And, you know, I realized that the service was active in, in four countries and it had taken the company probably like five, six months to launch each of these countries. I thought, hey, maybe we can just accelerate that what if we would do one country per month instead of per six months? So in six months, we would do six countries. If there's any demand out there that's been created in these countries, that ought to be the best way to to capture it, right? Just being available, you know, unblocking the audience to come to us. So I felt like maybe that's a good way to just start. So I set up this little team. They were called the International Growth Team. Four people with different background and most of them
1: generalists. And they just set off launching countries. And what does that mean? When you say launch a country, Yeah. why is the growth strategy underpinned by launching in countries or cities?
0: Yeah. So for Spotify to launch in a new country, you have to do a number of things, right? One that's very important is to actually get the rights into place right? So you'd have to make sure that you have content for users to consume. And for us to have the content and have the creators on the platform, we need to license it from rights holders. And so that is literally like one of the key critical things you need to do and then obviously you have to prepare for the marketing that's going to happen you have to prepare for obviously launching the service and being active and being hosted in the right environment technically and so on so there's a lot that goes into it but all to say that you know that process we try to truncate uh-huh. to make shorter uh-huh. and we were able to and i'd say that ever since every time we've launched a country it has added user intake it yeah. so has been a little bit of a step change every time. yeah, And so it's a very effective way to capture demand. And 10, 11, 12 years later, yeah. we actually had the culmination of this approach, right? Last year, early last year, February, March, we decided before that, that, hey, wouldn't it be cool to actually just flick a switch and launch all of the countries we're not in you know, that would be the impossible goal here, right? That would be setting the insane goal beyond just launching one country in one month. And everyone thought that that was insane and impossible, but uh, we did it. So we went from basically being active in 92 countries to more than 180 countries. Wow.
1: Why couldn't you in four countries, why couldn't, like it was on the internet. Like why couldn't you just flip a switch and let everyone access it like it was Facebook or something. Why did you have to go geographically rather than just flip the switch on?
0: Most of it has to do with licensing. Okay. Right? So the rights. Yeah. But there's a lot of other work that goes into it. You have to make sure that you have the advertisers that are going to come in and support the free tier of our product. You need to have the right payments infra to be able to take payment from subscribers. You have to make sure that you're doing the marketing in the right way just before you're launching. Right, There's lots that goes into it. And so there, it's a tremendous effort to put all of this together in a matter of six months to then just say, hey, you know, tomorrow we're going to launch.
1: Makes total sense. And I think that's a unique conundrum in the music industry because the way that the music industry is designed is that you pay the rights holders which are the record labels the distributors etc who own the music you have to go through that intermediary at all times those intermediaries are different in all different parts of the world that's right and so you have to filter through those mechanisms yeah is that right yeah that's correct before you join just to rewind for a second this was like 2009 and Spotify was tinkering with monetization because it was growing, but it had no idea how to like make money. At the time, the bar for freemium was Skype. and Skype was monetizing about seven or eight percent of their users. and that was like the creme de la creme, right Like you have this big base if we can get seven to eight percent, we're golden. And then Spotify flipped a switch, did some product related things, Long story short, in a month, they started getting 10%, then 15%, then 20%. And what they realized is that the more that you play Spotify, the more that people pay. And so the biggest correlation start to become like, how do you get people to use this thing as much as possible? So when you're stepping in, fast forward two years later, are you looking at this thinking like, oh man, I've seen this before. Like I've seen these usage patterns before. Like gaming has similar, like you were talking about the Dow mouse yeah. of the things that you were looking at. Did you see that? And it kind of like triggered something for you of like, oh, like I, I know what's going on here. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I saw a lot of like common patterns in there. Premium is basically a few different things, right? So... First, it's one of Spotify's foundational strategies. It's not a common strategy, but it's definitely well used across different genres of software on the internet. So be it like communications that you just referred to with Skype and, but also in in, in video as well as in, in productivity and so on. And 15 years ago, it was way more rare than it is today. Back then it was primarily in gaming. You know, they called it free to play. And a lot of the original team I was just showing you around in the office, a lot of the original team, some of them are still here, were gaming enthusiasts, and they were super comfortable with this type of proposition of having a free tier and a paid tier. So it made us quite unique back in the day to have this. And it was also an awesome bridge to get people to come over from from piracy, which was rampant back then. That's kind of on a strategy level, but on a user level... It's different, right? So it's a value proposition that's split into an experience that's free for anyone to use. And now we're getting into what you were talking about. You join on the free tier, you build habits, and you start to want more and that's when you get uh, offered to upgrade to a proposition that basically gives you more features right and that has a price of more than zero and i say that because we have many different propositions so it's designed as a journey so you you start off on free you join premium or individual that's at 9.99 per month and then you may get together with someone maybe you move in and then you upgrade to a duo account and then then you move on from there you maybe have kids and you join and upgrade our family plan and so on and so forth so it's this dynamic journey that you go through. In a sense, it's kind of like a 21st century try before you buy kind of thing, mm-hmm. right, where you can stick around in each step. And then when you're ready, take the next micro decision to upgrade to the next proposition.
1: And it's working. So I'll tell you what, usually I always say like, hey, in 30 seconds or less, tell me what your company does. It's a pretty good sign when I feel a little bit stupid asking you to give the pitch of Spotify. I think everybody knows it. And most people are probably listening to this on Spotify. Let me just read some facts of like how this thing has gone, and then I'm going to rewind, and I basically have very specific questions about times in Spotify that you were there. Cool. And I just want to corroborate those yeah, two yeah, things. Sure, okay. sure. It is the world's largest audio platform with over 400 million users, 180 million subscribers across almost 200 markets. Yep. It's backed by everybody. There's some pretty cool investors in this thing, including Kleiner, which is a fun little world across a lot of funding rounds. Uh, Today, it's valued at $30 Pre what's happening in the stock market, it was a lot more. HQs in Stockholm, where we are, 51 offices, 25 countries. Spotify now powers. Is this right? I didn't believe this stat. 16 billion discovers a month. Is that right? I think so. Artist discoveries?
0: I think so. We'd, we'd have to double check on that. I I'm don't pretty know the sure that's number. right.
1: Yeah. Which is absurd. So, okay, let's rewind. In March 2011, that's basically when you joined, right? That's right. March 2011. Yeah. The company had a million users. Okay. Yep. The US launch was already delayed by a very long time. Like, right. people were making fun of the company and Daniel because two years earlier, he yeah. said, We're launching in the US. So, I imagine at this point, The pressure is mounting when you join the company. Is that right or am I over-dramatizing this thing? The U.S. must have been a very big deal launch in the Yeah,
0: it was, it, I mean, it, it was big back then. It still is our biggest market today. Yeah. You know, so it, it naturally means a lot to the company. I would say the reason for it taking a long time is because of some of the stuff we talked about before. It takes a lot of time to prepare to launch in a market. Yep. And a market of this size, the most important market, music market in the world, obviously will take time to prepare to launch for. And sometimes these things take longer than you think. And the flip side of, the, of that coin is also that the team back then spent a lot of time in the U.S., more or less going door to door to do the prep work. So Once we launched, there was already, thanks to a lot of this effort of creating this demand before we were even there, back then we had an invite system and we met with a lot of people doing kind of like a white glove service of helping them set up the account and explaining the promise of Spotify and hopefully also over delivering on it once they tried the service and so on, all while not being launched, you know, so we did a lot of prep work. And so once we launched, we were taking off and we had lined up already a couple of partnerships to help us power the growth even further. So. I think uh, that it took a little bit of time was actually
1: good for us. What's the hardest market that you've had to launch in? It's probably the US. The US. I'd say so.
0: Yeah, all of them are hard in different ways, you know? Yeah,
1: and each one is differently hard.
0: Yeah, so here's a learning that's, I think, pretty important. In a sense, the learning is that you would like to optimize for surprises, right? So I remember when we licensed almost all of, of, of the Latin American countries, and we did that in one go. And it, it happened mostly because of the way we do it on the rights holder side. And we decided to launch them as a cluster as a result of that. So a little did we know Guatemala and Costa Rica just within weeks had hundreds of thousands of subscribers right that was a huge surprise and i guess the point is that you can't know everything about every country and so the smart move is really to prepare sufficiently and just go ahead and launch and the key is obviously sufficiently because you don't want to be broken you don't want to have a broken experience when you launch and you don't want to be looked
1: at as that kind of that foreign mean, service what do you mean optimize for surprises so the fact
0: that we actually made sure to launch in latin america the way we did you know we had not forecasted and not projected to actually have you know that much success at all because we didn't know that there was this cohort of users in Guatemala that had been looking to get Spotify. Like pent-up demand there. Pent-up demand for sure. And once you get that going, if we can deliver on the promise, there's this delight that happens and people tend to talk about the service to other people and you get that word-of-mouth mm-hmm. flywheel going. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to predict where that's going to happen. So getting out there, I think, is, is the big lesson and optimizing for surprises and not
1: planning too much. So that was March when all of the U.S. launch happened. You had just come on board. You put the $100 million number up. By September, you're at $2 million. It's picked up as many new users in the previous two months as it had in basically the first two and a half years. Yeah. So it's like starting to inflect. Like you can see it in the business. There was a launch party in September with Facebook that Sean Parker threw in San Francisco, yeah. right? And it was like... Snoop Dogg, Zuck was there, Pharrell, The Killers. Did you go to that? No. Dude. No. I was here. Hard at work. Yeah, it looks like you missed out (laughs) on a sweet party. So you launched in September with Facebook. That was good because Facebook, you were on the back of this stupidly fast-growing rocket ship. Right. You have this sweet party that you missed. Sucks. Then in February of 2012, Obama releases his first Spotify playlist. Not only are users working and the user growth, but like you're becoming a part of the general zeitgeist. Yep. Things are feeling good at Spotify. And tell me if I'm wrong. That was 2012 in summer of 2013. Spotify was originally optimized for the desktop. That's correct. And mobile was now basically overtaking desktop. Yep. Yeah. And at this point the switch had flipped officially where In the summer of 2013, there was way more people accessing the internet on their mobile device than there was through their desktop on a browser. Yes. And Spotify, I I couldn't believe this when I read this, started to lose users. Is that true? I mean, I know it's true, mainly because I listened to it on your podcast. You guys were losing users, and that was the trigger that you needed for the labels to then agree to a free tier that you could put on mobile—is yeah. this all right? I would say that you were
0: right in that we lost engagement. Yeah, on the platform, whether we were losing users or bleeding users, I, I can't remember. What I do remember is what you were saying, which is that there was this very clear shift that happened, where you know more people started joining via uh, mobile phones or smartphones than the desktop. Yeah. Right. So and that now in we saw another services. We actually saw that happening a little bit earlier. So we had the foresight to it basically looked around the corner, we thought and, and, and just saw this coming. And mm-hmm. so we started preparing for launching the mobile free tier. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a reaction on 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 the loss of users or whatever. We saw this kind of trend coming. Yep a lot of other people did too obviously so we just prepared to launch a mobile free tier and I remember we did that in this in December of 2013 maybe yeah and then I also clearly remember that the first month of 14 we had more growth than we had the full year before
1: that it became in just in one month two straight years of 200 like the company started yeah. flying yeah. at that point and from what I was reading and listening to this was like Oh, my God. It was doubling like crazy. Yeah. Is that when you started to realize, shit, maybe this is bigger than we thought? Or did you already know?
0: Well, I, I was so into it already that I was super busy on fixing subscriptions and conversion. Yeah. So I was like way too focused on that. I couldn't really kind of lift my eyesight towards the horizon because of what happened. You know. So literally, as I said, we had more users coming in in one month than we had in the the previous twelve months. So the, this continued to happen. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like we see subscription or conversion tanking. So the pre-usage was growing faster than subscriptions were growing. And that just kept being the case, right? For one month, two months, six months. And what does Daniel
1: say? Forget about the 100 million. We're going to get there. Your job is now. You're
0: exactly right. Someone came knocking on my shoulder (laughs) and, and basically said, hey, you know, it looks like conversion is tanking. We need to do something about this. We basically started spending a lot of time understanding what was going on and how we needed to change our value proposition as a result of that. And we tried a lot of different things, and we learned a lot about consumer psychology and and the psychology of like pricing and packaging and so on, and finally struck gold with a proposition that was a campaign-based proposition that got people on to the 999 in a much, much faster way. So we kind of... Which was what? We called 3 for X, uh, and it was this very special moment where we had... Tested lots of durations of the trial that we had previously. So Mm -hmm. you would start on the free tier, you would build your habits, and then you would want more, and then you would go into this trial. And once you were out of this trial, you would be a recurring subscriber of Spotify. But that trial that was so ever present everywhere in the world, like every service had that type of trial, like 30 day trials, and then you start paying after Mm -hmm. that, right? So that didn't work for us at all. So when people were coming on board, they had different behavior on mobile. So we needed to extend the duration of the trial. So we figured, hey, Music is important, but there are other things that are more important. So maybe it is that we give them too little time to experience the product in a way that they would start understanding it and building out their habits Mm -hmm. and so on. Like cap it by time. Extend the cap. Yeah, okay. Extend the cap. So basically give them more time. Like Zoom
1: would say like, all right, you get 40 minutes on your free Zoom trial and tier. And then if you want longer than that, then you pay for premium. This was the predecessor to that. No,
0: th- this is much simpler than that. This is literally like a trial. So it's the bridge from the free tier over to the paid tier. Yep. So instead of saying, hey, the free tier costs this much, please join or stick around on free. We said, hey, here's this trial. You know, you can take the trial and then after 30 days, you can decide if Got you want to move on mm-hmm. or, or stick around on free or just kind of continue to use premium. The conclusion was that 30 days is not good enough. So we tried 40 days. 50 days, 60 days, and basically found a sweet spot at 90 days, so three months. And we also said, why don't we ask people to pay? Why don't we ask them to pay a smaller amount than the 10, right? So why don't we ask them to pay maybe five or three or two? And literally, we hit the sweet spot with 99 cents or a dollar. Instead of just giving away a free trial, we actually asked the consumer or the user to pay for these for three months, but only $1. So that basically got Folks vested into the experience. And so they actually spent time within this 90 day window to get to know the product because they felt that they were on a great kind of deal.
1: So a dollar was better than free.
0: Yeah. Well, in between the propositions. Yeah. Right. So, and we basically figured let's do that a couple of times a year. Huh. Yeah, So it's kind of almost like a ketchup bottle, right? So you squeeze, squeeze, squeeze during a campaign and then the free tier gets fatigued and then you loose it up and then more users come in on the free tier and then come Q4, you just squeeze, squeeze, squeeze again and then you know let it fill up in Q1 and Q2, you squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Yeah, so that was literally the the
1: way to drive for conversion and subscription in those years. I'm just super curious, like how do you work with product during that time? Because don't you need to work with product to be like, all right, what are our hooks? That we're putting in the product, right? That drive unique sets of engagement. Of course, we worked
0: really closely with the product and R and D team. I still do myself. A lot of engineers and and, and product folks in, in my organization, and then the bigger kind of product and R and D org is is run by peer mine. His name is Gustav, and and he's also been around for ages at Spotify. And mm-hmm. today, he's
1: one of my still one of my closest collaborators. And he was actually the one, I think, that's running this podcast that I was listening yeah. to, which is just fascinating, by right. the way. It was so fascinating. And he was talking about all the Spotify features that I take for granted right. was just being tested and trialed yeah. in conjunction with the pricing model tweaks that you were doing. Yeah. And you all were just tinkering yeah. with like, all right, what's the right price? What's enough product right. to then incent the right behavior ultimately for the yeah, user? that's great. Super interesting. Okay. I have questions that I'm not sure you're going to let me ask. So just tell me to fuck off if that's the case. Yep. I want to know about selling to these record labels. I'll be specific about this. When you do a renewal with mm-hmm. these record labels, right? Because mm-hmm. the contracts were basically done the first time and they're done in three to four year increments. Right. Is that right with these record labels?
0: Oof, not my expertise. Okay. You should actually so ask someone else. you're not doing the
1: deals with the record labels. I'm not, I'm okay. not. Okay.
0: Yeah, so you can look at Spotify as three big business units. Yep. One's freemium, that's the one uh, that I'm in. Yep. And run, and and that's, uh, you could call, loosely call it the commercial side of Spotify. Yep. It has It has marketing in there, yep. it has the free tier in there, it has the subscri- subscriptions mm-hmm. business in there, which is rough. 85 to 90% of the business, so around, Damn. call it 8.5 billion euros, something like that. It uh-huh. has partnerships in there, it has payments in there, it has you know a whole host of things. And then the second big business unit is the so-called consumer business unit, which is primarily product and uh, engineering. Mm-hmm. So they obviously cater for the platform and, and make sure that the apps are consistent and the experience is great. And then you have the content business unit, which is the third one. That has all the relationships with artists and creators. and That makes total sense. And commissions all the podcasts that we have on, on That makes platform. total sense. Yeah.
1: When you were tinkering with the pricing stuff and the freemium to figure out what the optimization angles were, is that when product came up with the Discover Weekly stuff or was that later?
0: I think it was...
1: Because I Around love that. Around the same I time. I love that feature. Yeah. It's Around like the my same favorite time. way of find yeah. music, finding music.
0: Yeah. It may have been like a year or two later. And I'll tell you the story of that. We have uh, a hack week. You know, I think back then it was like once a year. Now we have it once or twice a year. And they always have these different themes. And back then we were very focused on, on discovery. And so this is actually a hack that someone did at, at Hack Week that eventually ended up becoming this feature, right? So it, it was based off of data that, we started aggregating thanks to our acquisition of the echo nest so we were able to basically start getting a data set together that was much more about your patterns of discovery and how you enjoyed or did not enjoy certain new artists that you were being presented with and so you know someone during this hack week in 2000 and call it 15 16 something like that basically you know hit product market fit within the company
1: and it just boom.
0: And and we just saw that and, and said, hey, this is absolutely amazing. We just need to launch this.
1: So sick. And so we did. Dude, there's all these random I'm just gonna go down a a, a rabbit hole now of features that yeah. you guys keep releasing that I don't even know about until probably years later. There's a feature that I just found out about. i I shit you not, called Go to Radio. Uh-huh. Wait, are you guys kidding me? You're hiding this from me where you can f-ing go into a song <laughs> yeah. and then you click on the song and you click the little three circle thing on the side of it. Yeah. And you click go to radio and it builds your own playlist right. based on that song. Yeah. What? I mean, I think, you know, if you
0: kind of take a step back and look at how we treat features and obviously also content you know this is probably four or five years ago we started investing into machine learning it started even earlier than that but then it was mostly editorial but once we started investing into machine learning we basically realized that that was the solution in many ways to what would come so what would come would be hey we have not just tens of millions of users on our platform, but we now have hundreds of millions of users on our platform. And maybe in the future, there are going to be billions, right? So uh, we need to figure out a way to actually serve each of these users in the best possible way and not only in the best possible way but it needs to improve over time so the more you use it the better it becomes so machine learning was amazing technology an amazing way to to solve for this so i'd say that in the last two years or three years so it's really starting to pay off it really is yeah
1: it kind of reminds me of and tell me if this is an unfair analogy but it reminds me of netflix where the original use case was here is a bunch of movies that you know Right. that we're going to make it super easy for you to watch. Yeah, Similar to Spotify. Like, yeah. Here's a bunch of songs yeah. that like, it's going to be dead simple. Yeah. So you just go and listen to it. It's yeah. a clean UI. You can share it with your friends, whatever. Yeah. Then what Netflix ultimately became was I go on the Netflix and I've watched all the things that I want to watch. And right. movies are actually a little bit different because you don't want to rewatch movies like you do re-listen to, to songs. Yeah. Nonetheless, what Netflix became for me is an interesting curator of what I don't even know I want to see. That's what this feels like when you guys do this stuff. Yeah. Is that kind of the goal? Is that a fair comparison? I think so. I mean, in every moment, we would
0: like to delight you and make you feel like this is a great experience. Well, dude,
1: how good is the feeling of, you know the reason I love Discover Weekly is because I love finding a new song. Amazing. It's such a good feeling. Like, it's such a nice surprise. Yeah. What do you do with it once you found it? So, wh- I have three playlists that are my primary playlists that I've been right. racking up since I started on Spotify. Like, yep. whenever I did. Yep. The names of the playlists are embarrassing. One is called Soulfully Soulful. I made these when <laughs> okay. I was like, young, okay? Yeah, yeah. And that is, like, when I'm I want a good cry or whatever. I'm just hanging out, like, reading or cleaning up. And then I have Face Melting, which is, like, I'm ready to party. Like yep. this, it's going on. Yeah. And then I have going, going, gone, which I don't even know. These are ridiculous names. And that's like more something between the two genres. And then I basically, when I find a new song, I categorize it into whichever mood I feel like that fits to the corresponding yep. playlist.
0: Yep. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. A lot of people do that. How do you do it? It's shifted over the years. And right now, you know, I'm in the pattern of just adding a lot of like songs into my library. I mean, I just go and and save them or like them. And so they end up in my library. Okay. So I go in and listen to to my library. Not More often than I actually use playlists.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Has that changed over time? It's kind
0: of a recent pattern. Uh, I'm getting into. Okay, I wouldn't say that that's like indicative of what other people are doing on the platform though. <laughs> and,
1: and, and the way that the platform has evolved for me is discovery. Like it used to be yeah. a database. Yeah. That's the way I treated Spotify. Yeah, you search and you play. Right? I search and I play. Yeah. And then it became a social database. That's mm-hmm. the like my evolution of Spotify. Yeah. Where people now follow my playlists. They right. listen to it. Jubin, this is really good. Cooking for them, whatever. Yeah. What is this? Share it with them. Yeah. Right. Then it became a mechanism for discovery because I don't actually have time to figure out what I want to listen to anymore. Yeah. There's just these amazing ways. There's new music Friday or whatever. There's all these things yeah. that I'm like, this is what I want. Yeah. And by the way, I want that for podcasts. Yeah. Can I please have that for podcasts? Whoever's <laughs> listening, I want that for podcasts so bad. Yeah. Yeah. I want Spotify to be the Netflix of podcasts for me to find the ones that I don't know about yet. Yeah. Because there's so many. Yeah.
0: We're working on that. We've been hard at work here trying to trying to crack that. And I think it, to a certain extent it it's working out. If you open up Spotify on the home page, you know, the home tab, you'll see that we're experimenting with the podcast
1: discovery. Can I actually revisit some of the history on this podcast stuff? Because I think it's very interesting. Obviously we're recording a yeah. podcast, but in twenty nineteen the reason that podcasts started to get interesting to Spotify, right, was because in Germany, audiobooks were going crazy. Yeah, but the experience was terrible. It would skip. It would shuffle through chapters, basically. Yeah. But there were so many listeners, in spite of a pretty not good user experience. Yeah, and one company. She, who will not be named, was owning basically ninety eight percent of all of the market for podcasts, <laughs> Yes, right? Yeah. And I'm so sure. no one was really doing anything. And then you guys said, what if we could just deliver a better experience right. to listen to not music, but maybe books and podcasts yeah. or whatever? Yeah. And then you all made a really interesting product decision, was, should we bifurcate podcasts and music in different apps? Similar to how others are doing it. Or do we put it all on one platform similar to how WeChat does it in China? And so you guys started looking around at what are other platforms that are multi-featured that do a bunch of things? And then who has the ideal engagement model with the most amount of users? And so you actually looked at WeChat and then you said, okay, you know what? Take all that aside. We're going to give it away for free. And maybe, I'm sure you were a part of that decision, but like music is your base, and so you can use this base to then add all of this existing value mm. to the people that are subscribing. Yeah, with podcasts.
0: That's right. That's it's amazing. Right. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, the signal from Germany was was obviously an important one, but more important, I think, was our desire to actually make use of all these capabilities that we had built around music, right? right? We talked about the machine learning and, and discovery and to get people to engage, you know, with music. We built up a lot of things inside the experience. And so we wanted to see if we could do that for other types of audio as well. And podcasts seemed to be like a great place to start.
1: Can I come clean on something? Of course. I switched to and I'm not just saying this because I'm sitting with you yeah. in Spotify headquarters yeah. recording a podcast. I switched to Spotify podcast only listening to the podcast on Spotify because I can't believe I'm saying this because in my year in review, like when it goes back and yep. shows you the statistics, yeah. I think I'm going to be the number 1 power user of podcasts in Spotify by Minutes listened, (laughs) and I want to brag about it. Yeah, you want that currency. I'm telling you. So I want to talk to the product team at some point just to get my numbers. I just want to know, just give me a leaderboard. That's all I want to know. So anyway, I love it. You all have made some really big investments in the podcasting arena, and uh, I'm just really excited to see what you do. Obviously, selfishly, just like this is just you and me talking. Mm -hmm. What inning do you think we're in of podcasts, the rise that you saw in music and the way that people started to really fall in love with Spotify yeah. and how they engage with music. yeah. Where do you think we are just in podcasting as a medium?
0: Yeah, I, I think we're early, early innings of podcast for sure. We see the growth on the platform. We see the increase in engagement and we see this kind of tailwind or this macro shift of a lot of the creators out there starting to make podcasts. Yeah. It's an interesting format. And I just think that more people are discovering it, not just on the consumer user end, but also on the creator end, for sure.
1: It is the most underrated way, in my opinion, to learn. I love learning through this medium. Yeah. I prefer it.
0: Yeah. And then the reason why a lot of people do, it's because it's very compatible with a lifestyle that is not just sitting in front of a screen, whether it's a smaller or bigger screen. I just think that when you're driving or when you're out and about and when you're doing something else, you could still have audio in your ears, right? Yep. It's very hard to focus on a little screen of, of a video while you're walking, you know? Yeah. So, so music and, and audio in general is very compatible with moving lifestyle or a lifestyle that is about doing couple of different things at the same time 100
1: people think i'm crazy for listening to podcasts when i go for runs and it's like my it's absolute amazing. yeah it's my absolute yeah like when i was lost in the garden today right. listening to the pod the spotify podcast yeah getting scared that i was going to run into whatever some villain from yeah. james bond i was like in heaven like yeah. i hit a runner's high like i've never hit yeah. before As I've gone through the rabbit hole getting ready for this, I listened to a bunch of Daniel. And what he said is that in music, you typically build a collection and listen many times. In video, you typically just watch it once. Mm -hmm. And that means you have to design for those different mechanisms very differently. And if you design for both, that means you don't optimize for either. And what he said was right now, if you look at the market caps of music and video, audio and music is like $100 and video is a trillion. Mm-hmm. And the way that he put it, which I thought was fascinating, the question he asked was are your eyes worth 10 times more than your ears? Yeah. I can't even that struck me. Because I actually value my ears more than my eyes. It's a very weird way of yeah. saying it. <laughs> but like I'm much more interested in consuming things through audio yeah. than I am through video. Yeah. So, when I ask like, man, what inning are we in podcasts? My instinct is we're still early innings of figuring out really interesting ways to feed you information yeah. through your ears. For sure. Do you agree with that? Yeah,
0: totally. And it's a format that's pretty easy to get into. And if you're kind of recording a video, it's you're not far from actually just turning on the audio as well and consciously making it into something that works in audio as well, and vice versa. You and I, you know, sitting around here recording a podcast, we could have had a camera pointed at us, and Mm -hmm. that's something that we're also investing into now. You'll see for a bunch of podcasts on the platform, they also have video. Yep, and in different use cases,
1: I prefer different things. Right. And sometimes I'll oscillate between the two. I'll go for a run, listen to it, I want to finish it, I put the video up. In Spotify, it's actually really seamless. Yeah, yeah you have a playlist you uh-huh. on spotify uh-huh. it's called the struggle yeah okay <laughs> yeah okay can't remember it's a hand yeah that's like bandaged up yeah there's no songs on it yeah. <laughs> <There's> no- <laughs> maybe i thought of the concept and i wanted to try the the visual art so my thought was like when would you listen to that playlist yeah
0: Every day, maybe.
1: (laughs) It's real. What was rock bottom for you at Spotify? What's the lowest you've ever felt? What's like the point where you had to pick yourself up off the ground again? Similar to the feeling you had when you shut down the doors for your company. When you think back on it right now, we're sitting here. You just get like angsty inside thinking about it.
0: I've literally worked in every department, almost every department at Spotify, save for maybe HR and finance who I'm close with. So it feels like I've worked there as well. But all kidding aside, this kind of rotating around is obviously in hindsight something that's super valuable. I wouldn't have have it undone in any way or shape, but anytime you, you kind of make a big change where you move from one team to the other, or, you know, you move around in the organizational hierarchy. I haven't always reported into Daniel, you know, it's been going back and forth and so on. So those are moments where you kind of need to reflect, Oh, what's going on here and so on. And so obviously that that's not rock bottom, but it definitely feels, it's, it's, it's a challenge.
1: The examples that I know are like, you're going from freemium to premium, right? Okay, fine. Like you're figuring out different ways to monetize, whatever.
0: Yeah, that's kind of an expansion. So going from premium right. That's to like Right, fre- that
1: seems like a minor step.
0: Yeah, so that's, a, that's a, you know, adding more to the plate. Correct. Right? So
1: are you going to like engineering? Like when you say you're going to other departments. It's early parts of my
0: tenure. Yeah. I moved from being in growth to product and then from product to marketing uh, and then back out of marketing, back into subscriptions. It's been a pretty wild ride. And, and like when you do that, like why are you doing that? organizational design changes over time. And you reorganize basically because you're changing strategies. And if there's a strategy that you believe more in, then you have to obviously make sure that the organization is optimized for that. Do you consider yourself a product guy? I would say I'm a hybrid. Yeah, I'm more business and consumer leaning, Yeah, but definitely I'm interested in product and engineering as well.
1: What gives you the confidence to just show up to another department and be like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm yeah. a Alex. <laughs> well, you have to basically restart and learn the craft. You mentioned earlier that you're nostalgic of the startups that you were in, like yeah. in the early days. Yeah. Like there's some weird nostalgia that you have about it. Yeah. Do you feel that way about Spotify? Do you ever miss the early days? Do you ever think about that and, and think, man, that was cool?
0: I think I'm having more fun than ever right now, now. Yeah. Like you're a
1: huge, you're like a big company executive yeah. now. Before you're like, all right, hundred million. And how do I work backwards from that? It's just a very different day to day. Yeah. It is, but it all is tied together
0: in in a few different ways, right? So one thing that's been very consistent is that growth, growth, growth thing where we're always trying to grow, whether it is about growing revenue, growing the number of users or subscribers or the engagement by investing in the experience or growing the number of creators on the platform. It's always about finding that next kind of, in, in your words, like the next inning. And so I enjoyed that a lot. That's one part of it. And so that just is like an evergreen thing at Spotify, you know, that that's how the company is put together. And then the other thing that I think is quite important uh, for us, and, and this is actually a story from the early days at Spray. You were mentioning Spray early on. And you know I was working as the management trainee for one of the founders. And at that time, he was, I think, co-CEO. And one day I was called into his office and he asked me, Alex, do you know what's the most important in business? Obviously, being young, I wanted to prove to him that I knew about business. So I said, is it revenue? And he said, no, 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 that's not. And it's not that. And I said, well, maybe then it's about operating leverage. He said, no, 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 no. Oh, is it about leadership? No, 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 no. You're out in the dark. You're wrong, right? So I'm like, okay, so please tell me, what is the most important thing in business? And he said, it's to be near the laughter all the time, right? I'm what? What does that mean? And he then says to me, well, the laughter is playfulness is going to cushion you in the downturns and it's going to help amplify the peaks. Uh, And I think this is like a very valuable lesson. So this is something that we even have as a state of value at Spotify that we try to make for playful moments. It doesn't mean like we're super serious, uh, obviously, about our growth and everything that we're investing in and doing at the company. But we always try to have a playful angle. Super cool. One of the things that I, I was thinking about yesterday was the notion of like user growth and user intake. So anyone who's worked on acquisition of users know that there's this kind of surprising and eerie thing about the software on the internet. And it's that when you hit product market fit, you typically tend to get the same level of user intake every day. But there's some variance, but it's very stable, assuming the same retention rates, right? So what that literally means is that if you're adding the same number of users every day, you have a linear growth curve. It's just a straight line, right, that, that's growing linearly. This kind of makes sense because you're not really moving the size of the addressable market here. So one big thing that we have learned and that we make sure to do more of is to, within a certain set of addressable market, try to launch Spotify as a service or as an app on more platforms. And every time we do that, we get that little step change upwards. It starts from one level and then it moves up one level. And when you say platform. Platforms, so whether it be launching for developers that maybe only have an iOS app, they would launch an Android app. And for us, maybe we launch a special integration with Tesla. We launch on Samsung TV sets. We launch on different brands of speakers, special tablet integrations, Xbox, PlayStation. Different so ways far. that
1: consumers can access the app.
0: That's right. That literally expands and unblocks capturing of demand within the same addressable market right so every time we've done that adding a platform adding another platform we've seen these step changes and if you take a look at an exponential growth curve if you really zoom into it you see that it literally is an approximation of these like small step changes so it's the linear curve actually moving up like that So when anyone kind of asks me, what's a kind of no brainer way to grow my service? Well, you know, the first one we talked at length about, which is long-chain markets and unblocking, you know, growth in new markets. And the second one would absolutely be this, to make sure that you are ubiquitous.
1: So I could listen to Spotify on my phone. It's on my desktop. Then I have a smart TV. I can just turn it on on my TV. It's natively integrated to certain speakers in my house. Yeah all of the above. Yep. In my Tesla, I just push the Spotify app. Yeah.
0: And if you think about it, this is really like being horizontally available, and, that, and that's great for growth.
1: That's super interesting. I've never thought about it that way.
0: It's one of the kind of key learnings. More. Dad. I want more. More. Okay. So you were touching on pitching and stuff like that. I think the art of pitching or like grinding the pitch is sadly a bit lost. And consumer businesses on the internet, they don't really require that type of grinding. Or selling. I mean, outside of like financing rounds, and if you're getting kind of VC to invest in you, you have to pitch big. And I'm not obviously not talking about SaaS businesses, and that's completely different. I don't want to be unfair either because it's finding true product market fit is very difficult. There's mm-hmm. a lot of grinding that goes into that. Yeah. But there's no big pitching. And when you say pitching, like sales. Yeah. 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 Yep. And the reason why I'm telling you this story is that it's been quite different for Spotify. We didn't have massive funding to begin with. And so we always had this kind of mentality of we need to partner. We need to find friends in in a kind of big world outside of Sweden, right? So we always went for partnerships as a way to grow. Grow our users, grow our revenue. And to get those partners, we had to pitch big. And also it just happened as an independent. We're quite partnerable, you know, friendly.
1: Mm And you're all Swedes who are really friendly. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) Thank you for saying that. So we've done numerous big pitches over the years to partner with companies like, you know, obviously Google, Starbucks, Uber, Walmart, Hulu, all the wireless carriers that we have in our portfolio of, of partnerships. I think we are up to about 40 wireless carriers as partners. All of these have been about finding ways to grow together. And I think that that's just something that has gotten lost a bit, and has been truly valuable to us. And the, the latest partner that we just signed with here is Football Club Barcelona. So sick, which is absolutely amazing, right? So.
1: And what what do you do? Like, what does that look like when you're partnering with Barcelona? What do you guys like? You, is there a Spotify patch on their jersey?
0: Yeah, so it starts with you know the why, obviously, yeah. right? So. And for us, I mean, it's two-sided naturally because it's a partnership, but speaking for us, this is a platform, if you look at the football club as a platform to reach users and reach people, it's just literally insane in size, right? So football is the biggest sport in the world, and this is, I think, the biggest football club in the world. Getting access to that is obviously amazing for us. And then the second thing here that's important, which is something that you're alluding to, is the shirt and the the assets and the placements and the boards around the field and fields and so on uh, in the stadium. But the Spotify brand is pretty well known in many markets, so we don't have the need to actually just show our logo on a shirt. But I think the, the the cool part with this partnership is that we have agreed with FC Barcelona that we are going to make use of the shirts and the different assets and placements to highlight artists and creators. That's super cool. And their work, which is very cool. I, I can't speak to the details of exactly how that's going to be done, and, and some of it is just, you know, it's just... That's you know, super cool. The sky's the limit here.
1: I got to get an FC Barcelona Spotify sponsored jersey. I will get that to you. That would be so (laughs) sick. Now I'm just curious are you still going in and negotiating these deals?
0: So I have the world's best deal team, yeah. uh, for sure. They're just so amazing. They're kind of multi-talented, and they just go in and do these negotiations. So not, but like, the pitches—I'm part. I'm definitely part of part. the pitching process. I'm definitely part of of the deal team and, and part of the negotiations. But I wouldn't want to take away from the incredible work that the team does here.
1: Yeah, but like if it's Walmart or something, like you're involved in these things. Yeah,
0: yeah? I'd say so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's more to that that you can't tell me. But yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Is there any stories that you really want to tell me that I did not ask you about?
0: In the last 10, 15 years or so, there's been this opportunity for land grabbing the internet. And, you know, much thanks to the smartphone being invented, literally getting to everyone became possible, right? This is 10, 15 years ago. And today, a big portion of that reach, that overall reach of the internet uh, is aggregated among a couple of handfuls of players, right? And they have started to monetize this reach one way to do that is by way of advertising sales and and so it's very natural and as they should and we do that too, because you know, these companies have spent billions to get this reach. But this is very consequential now. For anyone out there, you know, whether it's a startup or it's a brand marketer with deep pockets, it's going to become more expensive. Literally, there is no free growth out there anymore. This used to be the case where there's lots of like free there's growth above. Yeah, that's right. It's becoming more expensive for marketers to cut through it's not impossible but it's expensive now it's not quite as dark as it seems as I tell the story because for those companies that have achieved the level of tens of millions of users, or even maybe millions of users, they now have the chance of delighting and speaking to their own users. So the job for a marketer now is to to tell stories to their existing users, tell stories with the hope of delighting them to then pay the message forward. When it happens, it's very powerful. And you were talking about our year-in-review campaign that we do in December every year. It's called Wrapped, and it's, I think, in its seventh installation this year. And every year, it basically captures the zeitgeist of, of, of the internet or the world for a week or two weeks or sometimes even three weeks. And most of the storytelling we're doing there is to our own users. We're creating this for our own users. And it just becomes this reverberation that just reaches everyone. What you know, you're saying
1: is that you can spin the flywheel more effectively now internally. By just delighting your users so much that it creates this immeasurable word of mouth that just exudes from everybody. Similar to I can't go on social media during those two to three weeks without seeing the freaking top thing. And that, in some ways, in a world where a cost per click has become so expensive, is becoming a way... To like shine,
0: yeah. I mean, there are a couple. Like you're getting it entirely right. So I, I think there are a couple of key ingredients that goes into this, right? So you have to know your users, and you have to create an experience for the user that actually is interesting. When it comes to Rapt, you know, you get in there, and it's actually in the experience, in the actual application, right? Normally, campaigns tend to happen on emails or billboards in inventory outside of the actual experience. But this happens literally within the experience, and it's interactive. So you're in there, and you're feeling like, hey, is this is this a feature? Well, no, because it kind of disappears after a while. And, well, is it a campaign then? Well, not really, because a campaign wouldn't be this interactive and it wouldn't give me the currency that you're talking about that you're so proud of that you can go in and then share with your friends in the world. And so if you ask me, it's neither of those. It's not a feature. It's not a campaign. I think it's the future of marketing.
1: Super, super interesting. You said the word currency, and I, I actually can't get over that. Like, I think Daniel said this, but at Spotify... Culture is our currency.
0: Yeah. So on a more kind of even concrete level, I get wrapped as well. And when I got to see that I am one of the f- first people that discovered Kanye on Spotify, I was one of the first people that played the Kanye tracks through the wire on Spotify. Obviously, I get immensely proud. And then obviously, I share that with my friends and maybe even wider. And another example would be, you know, in the last year or so, I've become this hardcore fan of Silk Sonic, and maybe even in particular, Anderson Park. And the wrapped campaign delivered that and told me, hey, you spent this many minutes listening to Anderson Park. You know, he had a great year. Do you want to thank him for this experience? And, And obviously, I wanted to thank him. So there was a pre prepared Twitter message for me to tweet to Anderson Park. So that makes for a magical moment, right? So when Anderson Park then gets all these tweets, that's good feedback loop to have.
1: For an artist. It reminds me, and this is maybe a crude analogy again, but it reminds me of one of our portfolio companies, Cameo, where someone makes a cameo and then immediately whoever they're giving it to or whatever, yeah. like if it's a birthday and Snoop Dogg's wishing them a happy birthday, yeah. the first thing they do, because they're so delighted, right. is share that. Yeah, of course. They want to share that experience. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think that's exactly what he's talking about when he says culture is currency. Yeah. But that's also marketing to your user base internally. To then go out yeah and creating that flywheel with your own base
0: yeah a lot of this we, we do for artists and creators on our platform and so if you can create that relationship and help amplify that and so on by way of features and, and, and product I mean that that's something we would invest in any day of the week. so sometimes you know it's not just about the users it's sometimes you know more about the creators
1: Well dude, I can't f-ing wait to see what you all come up with next and what you do. I thought this podcast was going to end with you offering me an exclusive on Spotify. I guess I guess I was wrong. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, I, I just... It hasn't appre- happened yet. hasn't yeah, happened happen. yet. Yeah. I appreciate you. Yeah. I really genuinely
0: appreciate yeah. you. Same. Um, Thanks so much again for coming all this way dude, to Stockholm to talk to me. Dude, I would
1: do it again. <laughs> yeah. I would do it again. And we have officially set a record for time recorded in a podcast, which I'm f***ing proud of. That's what I was going for. That's good. And I appreciate you. (laughs) I always end these the exact same way. Yeah. Two questions. The first, are you hiring? Mm -hmm. What are you hiring for? I assume you're hiring like crazy. Right. Are there any key roles that you want to shout out that come to mind if you want to play favorites?
0: We're always hiring. and, And this year is going to be pretty special because we're Uh, hiring more than ever. I would have a hard time kind of picking out a role, but that uh, role that you were talking about that I have uh, had over time with, you know, someone shadowing me and tagging along and working closely with me, that role is not open. Can can I? Are you interested? 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 Wait,
1: do you, you do you have to be a part of Spotify (laughs) to be in that role? You have to be a part I have to of, be part an of Yeah,
0: it's working very closely with me. <laughs> See, you hesitate now. You're hesitating now. <laughs> I just you have too good of a job with Kleiner. I think it'd
1: be awkward with <laughs> Kleiner if I came to be your shadow yeah, for a while. No, that sounds awesome. I would be delighted. Okay, if you want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do it? Should they apply on the website? What's the best way to do this?
0: That's really any channel, but I guess LinkedIn
1: is good. Okay, awesome. Take it from me. It's hard. So good, yeah. good luck getting <laughs> Last one. What does the word grit mean to you?
0: Uh,
1: I've heard you ask
0: this question, so obviously I've been thinking about it. And, and so I, I know a lot of people talk about grit being relentlessness or resolve or strength of character or kind of that grinding we talked about, the late night grinding, street smartness or smartness in general. There are so many different ways to talk about the inputs, but I actually think more about the promise or actually... M- more specifically the desire to make the impossible possible. Right. Though that that is literally what, what grit means to me. To just continuously strive for that again and again. Ambition and and, and growth and going at it time well, dude, and again. It's
1: all over your background in everything that you've done. So um Thank you for saying that. that's kind. Super cool, man. I appreciate you. I already got you twenty minutes late to this meeting. Right, so cool,
0: cool. Thanks, man. Thank you.
1: That's it. Thanks for listening. If you're just discovering the podcast, we have a lot more episodes from organizations like Snowflake, Twilio, Slack, LinkedIn, Box, etc. If you want to keep up or support the show, the best way to do so is by following us on Spotify, subscribing on Apple and leaving a review. Also, we love feedback. So feel free to email us grit at kleinerperkins.com.